Welcome to Heroes of STEM, a monthly podcast with biographies of individuals from the science, technology, engineering, and math worlds. This month, we are taking a close look at Leonard Euler. That's Leonard, L-E-O-N-H-A-R-D, Euler, E-U-L-E-R. Euler was born on April 15th, 1707 in Basel, Switzerland. He died at age 76 on September 18th, 1783. He was chosen as the inaugural topic of this podcast because he's the most prolific mathematician in history. His career started in Switzerland and then moved on to Berlin and Russia. His master's thesis was about taking a look at the philosophies of René Descartes and Isaac Newton and comparing and contrasting their works. The oldest of four children, he lost the vision in his right eye as a result of complications with some sort of infection that led to a fever in 1738. The only remaining diagnosis that exists after this time is just a fever, as though that's the cause and not a symptom. We have made some improvements in our medical understanding since then. The loss of that vision did earn him the nickname Cyclops. He would eventually lose his vision in the left eye due to a cataract that formed and was diagnosed in 1766. At that time, most working mathematicians were publishing four to six papers per year. A blind Euler dictated his work to multiple scribes and published an average of one paper per week, over 50 papers per year. So exactly how prolific was he in his entire career? Well, he published papers in math, in physics, in music, in a number of other fields. Some of them cite that he's written 30,000 pages, but I can't find anything about what standard is used in the publishing format for those pages, because you can get some very different ranges in terms of number of words or formulas or equations, depending on the formatting, of course. Springer Verlag publishes a yellow book line of fairly standard-sized math textbooks. If you were to purchase Euler's complete works, known as the Opera Omnia, through that publisher in line, you'd expect to shell out about $11,000 US for a 72-volume set. Now, he didn't just publish a lot of material. He published some incredibly important and influential material. A lot of us are used to functions and function notation. It's usually introduced in high school. It's fundamental for computer programming. The function is usually f of x, where you've got that lowercase f, and then in brackets, x, or a comma-separated list of all the variables that it relates to. Leonard Euler was the mathematician who not only conceived of the idea of functions, but he created that notation we use. The square roots of negative numbers had been examined for a while before his time. He was the one that advocated for using the lowercase i to denote the square root of negative 1. And for those who are listening to this, Yep, square roots of negative numbers do exist, even if most calculators don't know how to produce them. You may also remember summation notation with a capital letter sigma to denote that you are adding up a number of terms that follow a specific pattern that depends on some variable that's easy to count. That notation was produced by Euler. If you've studied calculus or logarithms, or even just the buttons on an advanced calculator, you may notice e to the x, or that base e which is an important number in calculus and logarithms. That was his notation. The symbol pi, used for the ratio between circumference and diameter of a circle, was first proposed by a monk named William Jones. 
and he chose pi because the first letter in the word perimeter, when writing in Greek, is the lowercase letter pi, and the perimeter of a circle was important to it, so that was his suggestion. It wasn't really used until Euler endorsed it and started using it, at which point everybody jumped on board. To understand Euler's influence over mathematicians in the 18th century, think about the influence that Oprah Winfrey had to middle-class stay-at-home moms in the 1990s, and you're starting to understand the impact. We may have noticed when we were doing things like quadratic equations, ax squared plus bx plus c equals zero, or y equals mx plus b for straight-line slopes, that constants or parameters have their symbols taken from the first half of the alphabet, a, b, c, up through the letter m, while variables, x, y, z, and so forth, are taken from the latter half of the alphabet. That was also Euler's notation and contribution. The sine, cosine, and tangent trigonometric functions were already conceived of by the time Euler started working with them, but the modern notation was developed by Euler, that three-letter abbreviation. He was also very well known for his work with analysis in power series. So creating an infinite series of sums that would represent a function. So showing that e to the x can be represented as x plus x squared over 2 factorial plus x cubed over 3 factorial plus x to the fourth over 4 factorial and so forth. So if you take x to the n over n factorial and take the infinite sum starting at 1, you get e to the x. That was one of the power sums or power series that he came up with. You can use these to prove that e to the i theta equals the cosine of theta plus i, the imaginary number, times the sine of theta. That result also leads to Euler's identity. If the angle you're dealing with is pi, then you get e to the exponent i pi plus 1 equals 0. It combines the basic operations of addition, multiplication, and exponentiation once each, the basic relation of equality once, and the five most important numbers in mathematics, e, i, pi, 1, and 0. They all appear once each. That was actually voted in 1988 as the single most beautiful or elegant equation in all of mathematics. That was done by the Mathematics Intelligencer magazine amongst its readers. Euler's output appear in three of the top five entries on that list. He also developed the calculus of variations. Now this is one that has a bit of a story behind it. So that's what we're going to use to end this podcast with this brief biography of Euler. There was a problem first proposed by the Bernoullis called the Brachistochrone problem. The problem is to figure out a particular shape of wire. So let's say you have a wire and you put a bead on it. So like a necklace or a bracelet, but with a rigid wire in the center instead of a pliable string. If you've got that wire completely vertical, then that bead is essentially in free fall. But as you increase the slant on it, then you also get some resistance forces and friction. And the bead doesn't accelerate downwards quite at the acceleration due to gravity because those forces fighting it. So the Bernoullis proposed a problem asking, if you drop this bead, what shape of wire do you need 
to make sure that that acceleration due to gravity plus the resistance due to friction match each other so perfectly that no matter where on that wire the bead is released, it'll take the same amount of time to reach the bottom. It is not a simple problem. And it had been one that was subject to about 50 years worth of study as people were trying to figure out, you know, how exactly are we going to solve this? Now, Euler already had a reputation for solving complicated problems. In high school, you may remember the quadratic equation that will solve any equation in the form ax squared plus bx plus c equals zero. There was a cubic equation that was also a challenge to solve because there's conditions on it. So while the quadratic equation involves four terms, the negative b, the b squared, the 4ac, and the 2a, the cubic equation involves 17 terms. Euler had solved the quartic equation, and that general solution that would solve any quartic by at least extracting one root and turning it into a cubic has 53 terms to it. And the terms on average are more complicated than just your negative b or b squared kind of terms. So he'd already proven his capability with algebra. But he didn't solve this problem with algebra. He solved the problem by inventing an entire new field of calculus known as the calculus of variations. This is a very powerful technique still used today. So what it amounts to, essentially, is to start with a wrong answer. And an answer you know is wrong, but is easy to work with. So in the case of the Brachistochrone problem, start with a wire that's completely vertical. We know it's not going to work. The bead is going to accelerate. So the higher up that wire you start it, the more time it's going to take to reach the bottom, because it's just going to free fall. And the amount of time it takes it to drop one meter is not going to change, no matter what point you release it. So you release it up two meters. After a certain amount of time, it could be one meter down. But if you release it at one meter, the same amount of time, it falls off the wire. So it's a completely vertical straight wire is not going to solve the problem. The calculus of variations takes that wrong answer, but then gives it an infinite number of infinitesimal nudges to bend that answer and curve and shape it until you hit the maximum or minimum that's an optimization of that problem. In this case, finding a solution in the hyperbolic trig functions. So not necessarily sine or cos, but hyperbolic sine or hyperbolic cosine, which have their names for reasons best left for another podcast. So in the span of about 50 years, no one had come up with a solution. And in about a week's worth of dedicated effort to this problem, Euler not only solved it, he invented an entire field of mathematics to produce that solution. He is one of the mathematical giants of history, and one of the most influential of all time. If you'd like to read more about him, there are a few different biographies available. As a simple suggestion for further reading, I'm going to point you to the Euler Archive, found at http colon slash slash E-U-L-E-R A-R-C-H-I-V-E dot M-A-A dot O-R-G. It's a non-profit organization devoted to compiling all things Euler. Thanks for listening to the premier podcast of Heroes of STEM, and join us on the first of every month for new biographies about other major important figures in the history of STEM.
Suggestions for future topics and people are highly encouraged and can be sent to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.